Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel Labrizzi. And I am once again Chris Delano. Uh, we have no plan tonight. We uh, had originally on our schedule uh, scheduled a Flavor Gems episode for Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle Earth. But it turns out that if you watched those movies that were very big and famous and popular, then you know 80% of the set. And if you read the books, congrats, you know more than me. Uh, so we realized uh, literally as shortly, but like an hour before recording, uh, we don't actually have the ability to make a satisfying Flavor Gems episode for the set. Uh, the other thing is like literally every card in the set is a top down thing. You could mm-hmm. talk about literally every like we thought March from the Machine was like Flavor Gem Central. We did three Flavor Gems for that set. But uh, yeah, so we're not doing that. No. <laughs> To, to give like some behind the scenes idea, when I normally, when we start doing a Flavor Gems, the first thing I do is I like go through and I look for like the Planeswalkers, of which there are none in this set. And then I look for the legendary creatures, of which there's like 80. And I was like, okay, this is not sustainable. We can't record an episode with 80 legendary creature cards to talk about. Even if you take like the double ups, the like multiple Frodo's and the multiple Sam's, like, I, we can't that's like still like 60 something cards well and that that doesn't actually condense anything because if you look at the multiple frodo's it's hey this is frodo at different points in the story which is a story that has existed for like 70 years so it's like you, you can't just say well these are the frodo cards because they are from specific moments and they do specific mechanics based on those specific moments so yeah. it's like yeah so we're not doing that uh, so, uh, <laughs> what are we doing instead is a really excellent question, actually. Um, we have no plan. So, uh, we, we got 45 minutes of, of dudes on microphones. All right. Um, so, so my, my idea for getting us into this yeah. is, um, Lorelai, what's your final thought? Uh, my final thought. That's really tough so is this the episode where i talk about destiny a lot i okay so (laughs) i actually i do request your assistance in destiny i have not touched it since the new season started because i have been buried in dragon age so i don't really know what's going on in destiny right now um but i don't want to like ask you just to tell me what's happening because i feel like there's a lot of people who are going to be listening who are going to be like what the hell's a drifter? Um, but this is he's like a scamp. He's a scallywag. He's, <laughs> he's yeah. one of the best characters in the entire. This has actually been a very excellent drifter season. Um, I like drifter a lot. People like drifter because he's funny and weird. And like when you go back and read old lore with drifter, he's like a really complicated and emotionally devastated human being (laughs) and this season is picking up on a lot of the like he's he's an old timer he is one one of the oldest characters in in this game uh and and this season is picking up on a lot of really really good meaty emotional things uh he's also maybe the funniest he's ever been um but yes continue sorry oh well i was just gonna say like uh i don't want you to tell me like the the like events of what's happening in this season. Cause I don't, I don't need people to be like skipping ahead to see when we stop talking about destiny, but what could be really cool to know 
is like, oh yeah, I guess like Drifter, like talk about like characters who are like introduced as kind of like a gag or like a little like side moment thing who become like important or fan favorites. Cause that is, that is like a favorite trope of mine. And it happens a lot in video games, especially video game series or like serialized video games. And it's happened in magic too. I mean, like fibble fit. All right. All right. So yeah, I, I, I have, I have a good thing on here. Um, this is, this is a very good setup. I have, I have a really good, excellent answer for this. Um, so destiny's existed for a long time. I think between destiny one and two, it's been about 10 years. It's been nine, nine or 10 years. I think I forget when destiny one came out. Um, when you have long ongoing video game franchises, uh, set in the same universe, the same characters, um, you get a lot of like a character who will be introduced as just a minor character will get reused once and then twice and then three times. And before you know it, like a character who started the game as just a nothing character becomes a big deal. Um, Destiny has a number of these. Uh, the biggest one is probably Tanix. Uh, Tanix is an Elixni pirate. Uh, the Elixni are these uh, six-armed bug space lobster type aliens. Um, They're kind of cute. Whose civilization was destroyed uh, by our main nemesis, the Witness. Um, and uh, so so a lot a lot of the Elixni are scavengers and pirates and salvagers. Um, they have, uh, there's a place in the last city called the Elixni Quarter where a bunch of them live on Earth now. There are friends, some of them. Uh, Tanix is not one of them. Uh, Tanix is a very old Elixni. Um, he is the... Uh, God, how do we... If you can pay him to do a job for you, he has zero loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Tanix is a scallywag. He hates humans. Uh, he hates whoever you pay him to hate. Um, he has appeared a number of times. Uh, his first appearance, uh, you know, he's, he's fought in many important battles in Destiny history. He was at Twilight Gap, which is, a you know, one of the major, um, human Elixni conflicts in Destiny history. Um, where he met Aramis. That'll be important later. But, uh, so, like, uh, he shows up in these, this big, this early fight, and it's just, like, whatever. Uh, I believe he gets taken at one point? I don't remember. Uh, I know he gets in, uh, I think somewhere in the Rise of Iron, which is Destiny 1. Uh, we have Tanix perfected. Uh, he gets kind of augmented with these, uh, nanites, uh, called Siva. Um... And you fight him again. So you fight Tanix a whole bunch. Uh, the last new Tanix fight was two years ago um, in one of the raids. He's the final raid boss um, where he uh, <laughs> you're in a space station and mm. you crash the space station into Europa. And uh, he rises out of the rubble with a whole bunch of... Um, uh, his, he basically has replaced his legs with a little hovercraft with four little engines powered by nuclear cores on them. Uh, sweet as hell. Uh, so Tan Tanix has historically been like 
the guy who never died, no matter how many times you fight Panix, he crawls his way out from near death and uh, finds a way to track you down and try and kick your ass again. Um, it's really delightful. So, uh, he has been usurped, however. Uh, there is, uh, as of this current season, there is a new character uh, who has appeared as a boss more times than mm-hmm. Tanix. I was waiting for you to talk about this because I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> uh, and this is a hive knight known as Kelgaroth, uh, Kelgaroth. who first appeared uh, in Season of the Lost, which was about a year and a half ago, a year, nine months ago. I, God, I don't know. He is, uh, he is a hive knight. So the hive are ostensibly insectoid type aliens um who also kind of like necromancers they do a lot of necromancer uh, style stuff in a way yes some of them have necromancers uh there's a lot of different factions within the hive uh but largely um they operate under an ideology called sword logic which means that uh hey you have two organisms in a room one kills the other the surviving one is clearly the more perfect organism extrapolate this to a to all of existence and hey if you use your sword to cut down every other organism in existence then you are by default the most perfect being ever to exist uh and so they have all these rituals that uh channel uh like death and war up to their gods uh their (laughs) i was about to say three Hive gods, but there's only one left. <laughs> um, well, sort for of, now. Sort, yeah, necromancy. There are asterisks on the other two. Yeah, um, but <laughs> it's uh, a video Zibu game Arath, series. People don't stay dead forever. As some people do, but uh, the hive are like Savathun can't stay dead forever. She's a light bearer now. She has a ghost. She can get resurrected if Amaru ever finds her corpse. And Oryx has a whole bunch of stuff going on that we learned this season. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, Kelgoroth. <laughs> Kelgoroth is like a fail guy. Uh, I, I think he was a boss three different times during season of the Lost Activities. Um, and we kick his ass each time. He uh, he is he's a... I don't know what his rank in the Hive uh, hierarchy is, uh, but he serves Evil Roth. Uh, he showed up last season, last season, two seasons ago, uh, on the moon, I think. Was he on Mars? He was one of those. Or was he a... No, yeah, he was, he was the Mars boss. Yeah. Um, because he was in the Grandmaster last season, which sucked. Um, and we kick his ass and take his sword and turn his sword blade into a glaive, um... And this season he appears as a boss again, except he has been taken, which like, so like we kill him, kill him. And, and I I don't know how to describe taken in like five or fewer words. (laughs) Uh, the magic space zombie control. Sort of. It's like mind control. Essentially you metaphysically grab someone by their head and yank them into juice that makes them part of your army it's a whole thing anyway he's one of those now and so we're fighting uh kelgoroth a fifth time in uh less than two years um so he's this little minor character who's like 
all of a sudden has been like the bossiest boss of <laughs> any boss that has bossed in Destiny, uh, which is pretty impressive because there's a lot of recurring characters, um, yeah, which if... you don't know are recurring characters until you uh, dig deep in the lore. Destiny has so much lore. I okay, I love Destiny. Um, I do want to say that like it is probably at the point in its life cycle now where it is really, really hard to get into. Like, if you are not familiar with Destiny lore at this point, you have to sit down and be ready for like six hours worth of lore uh, to get you caught up to where you need to be. Yeah, I mean, even if you're just looking, we're we're like a year and a half away from the end of a five-year story arc. So like five-year story arc and we're <laughs> near the end uh, is... But, uh, no, Destiny's fine. I love Destiny. Um, uh, we're getting a lot of new information about Maya Sundaresh, too, who is mm-hmm. long dead. Uh, she's a character who exists in, um, uh, just lore books and stuff, flavor text and whatnot. Uh, she was a scientist during the Golden Age. Uh, she founded uh the city of neomuna on neptune uh this season we learned she had a wife so lesbian uh i want to say i think uh, the like count of like canonically queer characters in destiny 2 is higher than the count of like straight ones i have a hard time thinking of the canon straight relationships so there was like zavala right he had like a yeah yeah so so zavala had a wife and son at, at one point um and crow and um amanda oh yeah we're together for a little bit rip i don't think you could call drifter and eris morn heterosexual well they're they're not a canon relationship they are they are probably (laughs) the most popular like fanship um they're they're very close friends yeah um I was just more making a joke that there there's nothing heterosexual about those characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Marasava's bisexual, Drifter is pan. Um Aramis is a lesbian. I'm trying to think of characters who have actual canon relationships. Um Maya was a lesbian. Um Waning and Ariana three were lesbians. Uh Saint Osiris, obviously, are gay. Uh old gay men. Uh they're wonderful. <laughs> they got the kiss and a cutscene. I love their their relationship in the story. I love just the way that they're portrayed. It's great. They're they're wonderful. Saint is one of the characters of all time. Saint 14 is so. <laughs> For for context, uh, for people who don't play Destiny, Saint fourteen is a Titan. They are like the main martial subclass. He is very old. Um, he was one of the founders of the Last City, uh, and he is a very loud, boisterous, jolly, and exuberant Russian guy. <laughs> um, he's also a who, robot. I, I want to make that clear. Yeah, like, yeah, he's he's a robot. Just so people know, he he, he is an XO. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, who had died, by the way, and we went back in time and brought him back to life. We went back in time, not just for the fun of it, but because someone insisted we go back in time. Yeah, his boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Or 
Well, and, and God, and, uh, Anna Bray is, I think, bisexual. I vaguely recall a lore thing where she's dating a dude. I know she currently has a girlfriend. There's a very good bit of voice lines in Season of the Seraph where her sister asks, where it's like, hey, how's your girlfriend? Because, like, I'm trying to get to know my sister better, so I'm going to ask about family things. And it's a nice little exchange. Um, yeah, no, it's there. There's mostly gay people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's like an entire not insignificant plot in the story that does involve uh, a gay man making us go back in time to save the save the life of his boyfriend. Like, I think yeah. that is like an unavoidable thing in the story that it's just cool to see that as like a, a, a major part of the lore of a game mm-hmm. is, you know, a queer relationship and it's like integral and important part of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and a big part of, um, was it season of plunder? Cause, cause Osiris was like, on his deathbed for a mm-hmm. number of seasons and at the end of season of plunder um the the kind of uh denouement of that entire narrative was saint making some tea with some space magic um that woke osiris up and that's the very sweet cutscene where they get to kiss yeah um uh, yeah no so it's it's pride month and destiny just put out some uh pride shit and uh gamers be whiny they're like wow destiny is going woke and i'm just sitting here like y'all there have been gay people in destiny basically forever uh, um it's I, also I don't, like, know if, I don't know who these who these people think the game is made by like do they think like the people who make destiny is just like a collection of cis heterosexual people who are like hmm we should pander it's like no this game is made by a bunch of queer people too a lot of games are yeah, there, there's a good thread right now by uh, one of their corporate lawyers um, who's like, hey, when you whine about, you know, when you complain about the woke game, I'm the person those complaints go to. And so if you want to complain about me or my display name, like, I'm the I am the manager in this situation. You can talk to ask to see the manager. I am that person. And too bad. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I like Destiny. I like <laughs> the people who work on Destiny. And uh, it's a nice game. I I like when... I, I love a game that is like a single experience. You know, like I like when I, I play a game and I'm like, all right, this is a story from beginning to end. It has a finished point. I love that experience. Yeah. But I also love that in gaming, the fact that like games can be... I don't want to say drawn out like a bad thing, but like a game can have episodic experience. It can have narrative that arches over uh, a long period of indeterminate time. You know, all a game is, is in a lot of times is just characters in a situation. And if you just take those characters and put them in another situation, it's great. And I like that things like destiny get to do that where it's like, Hey, here's a, a wonderful collection of characters who you can attach yourself to and then experience all these different situations with them. And that's how we end Uh up with like little tiny minor characters being really interesting, well-developed story parts and things like that. 
You know, that's how we end up with a drifter. That's how we end up with Kelgaroth being the punching bag of the entire galaxy. Our solar system. Destiny has so many just little minor characters locked away in lore books. Uh, shout out to Micah 10, uh, who is a transgender exo. Um, there is a series of uh, lore books of her when she's like 10 years old on Europa during the Golden Age before she's an exo. Um, and her gay dads, by the way, because everybody in Destiny's gay. Um <laughs> I, I, I forgot until this moment that her dads are gay. Um, and uh, we later, you know, it, it is heavily implied um, that she exists at that point as a little boy. Um, and uh, we learn later she grows up to be a hunter and uh, do uh she's part of a very famous fire team of hunters called the six coyotes um she just exists in a smattering of lore books throughout destiny history um and so you get to learn about like all these like neat little characters that aren't going to matter in seasonal content uh god there's there was a reference uh in in this season uh God, who's is that? Panhane, I think, something like that. Um, who is like an extremely minor character, and one of the only things we know about him is that he really likes cephalopods. Um, and that got referenced in a in a lore tab this season by two unknown speakers who were talking about carcinization, and it's just why it the little connections that are in. Uh, Destiny lore is uh, really great. And magic is the same way. Magic tells the story a lot of the same ways that um, games like Destiny do. Destiny's a live service game. Um, so things like that. Or Apex Legends, which has a lot less lore, but does have a little bit. Um, you know, has has these seasonal stories. Um, and Ma magic has four seasonal stories a year, by the way. It's the same structure. Um, it really is. <laughs> that's I don't know, that's the thing that I always um I feel like a lot of the times people who enjoy magic story fall into this feeling of like wanting something from it that it's not and I feel like mm -hmm. the biggest problem that they run into is that it is essentially a live service seasonal story style game um but it's not a video game and all yeah. of our story comes out in short story blurbs and cards mm -hmm. and so it's like there, there are like certain genre limitations here of which are possible to address, but are very difficult. Um, and so like, I like to keep that in mind when I'm like enjoying the story. I'm like having to remind myself like this is this is how seasonal storytelling works. I don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen next season. There's a lot of things up in the air. Like like you mentioned with Destiny, it's like Savathun's body is out there somewhere. And so, well, we know her body is. No, oh, it's, it's in a Vanguard vault, I believe. Yeah. Her, her uh, ghost is out there somewhere. That's the important thing. Yes. And like occasionally there's like a little side mention about where her ghost or like her ghost is up to something. Um, he sometimes is relevant, but like very rarely since she died. And it's like, that's just that's the Ozolith baby. It's just something off in the distance that's like, one day uh, we'll talk about this. We'll get, yeah. we, we're putting this aside. We'll get there. 
Um, and I, you know, that's how magic works too. You know, you shove Nicol Bolas in the prison realm and you're like, oh, get there someday. Um, and that's how these games work too. And I like it, you know? Yeah, he's, he's Bol- Bolas is currently a surprise villain that'll hurt us later. <laughs> uh, and so is Savathun and Oryx apparently too. Because um, sometimes you think they're dead and then they're like, eh, we can use this. The stuff happening with Oryx is wild, but I would like to stop talking about yes. Destiny. All right, what is my final thought? Um, uh, I don't, I don't want it to be about Dragon Age, but I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts about Dragon Age. Oh yeah. God, we're just gonna talk video games today, I guess. All right. So I, mean, I don't have to. I can talk about comic books. Yeah, but I haven't read any comic books lately. Oh, that's not true. You know what I did read? Okay, short aside. Uh, before I get into a trade about Dragon Age, I read the DC Pride issue. I know nothing about these characters, but I saw the issue on the shelf and I was like, oh, it looks nice. I'll read it. Uh, it was good. And I like the stories in it. But I don't know who half these people are. OK, uh, b- but they they had uh, Renee and Renee Montoya and Kate Kane in there. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, what are their superhero names? Uh, Batwoman and um, the question. I think so. Maybe I, I- think so. I know they're on the cover of one of the things. Anyway, yeah. I like them a lot. They're lesbians. They're great. <laughs> Renee is fantastic. The question is an excellent superhero. I think Renee is one of the best passing of the mantles I've seen in a character. Because uh, Vic is great. The previous question. Anyway. Okay. Uh, there is a very cute story in there with uh, Poison Ivy and uh, Harley, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so it's very cute. It's precious. They're all really cute stories. Some of them are very like emotional, but it's it's worth a mm-hmm. read. Even if you're not super familiar with the characters, it's very clear that they picked stories to tell in this issue that like if you don't know what's going on in the like larger world of DC Comics, you can still walk away from it with something because like there's like an entire thing with like um, I want to say it's it's one of the Robins uh yeah it's uh tim drake yeah it's tim drake uh, and he's like uh, talking bisexual. yeah he, he's like him and uh someone who used to be the sidekick to green arrow um see i don't even know the names of the superheroes and like i still really enjoyed that story because it's these two characters talking about like their experiences it was, was it really boy? good it was a boy yeah i'm, I'm oh, roy. roy oh i don't know maybe um He's ace. That was the whole thing. It's like he's asexual and he was like talking to wow. to Tim about, you know, coming out and stuff. But anyways, it's really good stories. Um, I enjoyed it. But that's I don't have a breadth of comics knowledge to talk about anymore. I read like Saga. That's like the comic book du jour for me. <laughs> um, and also Boom's Magic the Gathering comics, of which I think one of them just came out. Um, uh, yeah, Noble. Yeah. Um, the the heroic planeswalker team up one and then i forget what the villain team up one is going to be called yeah i think noble literally came out the day of recording and i haven't read it yet so oh, it would have that. been on the wednesday before but yeah yeah um i have not read it yet either. i still haven't read uh issue 25 ending the like the main series <sighs> arc uh because i keep falling behind um we're going to talk about them. We're going to have an episode because I think there's a lot to say uh, about Boom soon. Comics. Yeah, it's soon, I think. Um, But can't talk about comics that much. I do want to talk about Dragon Age and 
the uh, concept of the visual novel action game. Um, because uh-huh. after putting 200 hours into, well, 200 plus hours, but I haven't been keeping track with this new playthrough, um, uh-huh. 200 hours into Dragon Age within the last month, uh, I have come to the conclusion that these are excellent visual novels with varying degrees of like success in terms of like action RPG attached to them. And I think that if I had an ideal video game, it would be dragon age visual novel with like the most little bit of action as you can put in there. Um, Cause these games are so good, but like, I can't say that Dragon Age Inquisition, a game that has an incredible amount of detail and work put into it, is actually good. And I hate that I can't Uh. say that because let me give you an idea of how this works. All right. You have Dragon Age Origins, which is essentially like Knights of the Old Republic, right? You are just a bunch of people. You you can do combat if you want with like real time or you can like pause it and give commands and have it like happen, you know, action by action, basically turn-based. It is a game that is clearly like almost 15 years old, I think. Um, It is got a lot of age to it, but like most of what made those, that game good is like all of the character interactions. And like, you get to know all of the characters, you get to go on quests for them. It is essentially a visual novel because you spend so much of it in just dialogue trees, talking to people, trying to uncover their history and their secrets and like unlock new things with them. And there's like a progression system with your your characters or like the more close you get to them, the better their stats get. And I love it. And also on top of that, they have this wonderful backdoor thing into it where like you can just give them gifts. So like. Part of the game is doing things that they would like you to do so that you can build up your friendship with them um, by making in-game choices that they approve of. But you can also just buy their friendship, which I think is a great, great mechanic for a game like this. Because sometimes you're like, wow, I don't really want to do the things that you want me to do because you are a weird religious fanatic but I do want to unlock your special quests and your dialogue (laughs) options. So no, I will not be respecting the church, but what I will do is give you a bunch of gifts and that will work just as well. Um, And so I like that. I think that I thought that was good. And a lot of people complained about that. Um, And so Dragon Age 2 doesn't have that in the same way, uh, but Dragon Age 2 is excellent in its character storytelling because you have like a very tight group of characters and when you talk to them you get like little cut scenes and there's just a lot there the the depth of the characterization is excellent the action adventure part of the game is awful um half of the game is made of reused assets the combat feels really weird and bad sometimes like when you're fighting it just doesn't feel very fluid it's hard to play that game as like a stop and go style action game. Um, but the characters are so good. Uh, by the way, when I say reused assets, I mean like you, there's one map that they have for like cave 
And anytime you go to a cave, it's the same map. You just like come in from a different angle every single time. It's actually like really funny once you get towards the end of the game because you're like the same cave where I was at the very beginning. It's just slightly different angle. Um, But yeah, I I really like Dragon Age 2 for the story, the visual novel aspect of it, of like romancing all these characters. Um, It's great. And then Dragon Age Inquisition. There's so many characters and like. They're fine. They're fine. You know, they're okay. And there's no way to really build and track your relationship with them in the same way as the previous two games. Uh, Dragon Age 2 removed like the gift giving aspect. You can still like give, I think, like some special things to people. Um, But it's like a quest style thing instead of just like, here, take a bunch of like paintings. Um, There's a character in Dragon Age 1 who just loves paintings. And so you just collect them all and you just give them paintings. But um, Dragon Age 2 is, does, has, still has like a trackable friendship meter. Inquisition doesn't have it. And I kind of hate that. And I hate that like it's kind of hard to tell when you should be like exploring the visual novel aspect. And then it's an open world game. And I kind of think I hate open world games. I do. I think I hate open world games. Anyways, that's my Dragon Age rant. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think people should play these games. I do. And I know that this is like 10 years since the last one came out or whatever. But mm-hmm. like, they're good games. And I think that Inquisition is fine. I just don't think it captures the visual novel aspect that I loved about the first two Dragon Age games in the way that I I want those games to be. And it tries to lean so hard into the open world action adventure RPG style game where you end up getting just frustrated because you're like, I want to go over this mountain pass, but I can't see where to, you know, you know, go over this mountain. So, like, I spend a lot of time trying to climb up the side of a mountain. I spend like 30 minutes of my gameplay trying to go somewhere I can't even go. And so kind of ruins a lot of the fun of what like a RPG should be my opinion but that's uh that yeah thankfully that's perfect for games like breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom which are literally designed so that their primary gameplay experience is how do i get from here to there right and uh they've done a very excellent job of that it's actually been very interesting i actually think tears of the kingdom's core gameplay is less on that but I don't know how much of that sense is colored by the fact that I have basically the whole map, like, generally memorized from playing Breath of the Wild for about a million hours. Um, but, like, I think the sky very much has the, well, how do I get to these sky islands? How do I get to this specific location that is hard to reach? And the sky embodies that element still. Um, A lot of the land-based stuff is, well, what can I build? The the surface is the, the predominant place to express 
the Zonai tech construction aspect of the game. And uh, then they threw a little horror game beneath the entire <laughs> map. Um, the Depths is Chef's Kiss. Great horror design in a Zelda game. Uh, they are eerie. There's never a point where they're not just really dark until you get like all the um, the safe, the warp points. Uh, what are they called? Light roots. Um, and so the depths are just really dark for most of the game. Uh, there is only ambient music. It's covered in gloom. Like the number of times I've been jump scared, like because you 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 will just run across the depths and not <laughs> see an enemy for like ten minutes, and then suddenly, uh, it'll turn to night on the surface, which you won't be able to see. So unless you're like keeping a close eye on the clock, you won't know that it's nighttime. And then boom, some skeletons will uh, pop up out from the ground and attack you. And uh, I've been jump scared by that more than once. Well, it's I, I I think like the reason why I think those games do so well in terms of like an open world game, because um, like or they're built for uh, it. Yeah. Well, it's like they're they're built for it. But also like the point of the game is exploration and discovery. Right. Yeah. Like you're not yeah. you're you're one person by yourself. And from my remembering of Breath of the Wild, there's not like characters you're building a relationship with so much as you do quests for some characters and like you do things for them but you're not like trying to unlock their you know traumatic history or something um the fish guy is just your boyfriend there's no like weird backstory you're trying to unearth and special quests to unlock uh but like dragon age for me i was like i just want to like figure out who this person is and learn about them and get their history and like all that cool stuff. And so it's, it's like trying to take the exploration game, but not doing the exploration part really well and like fuse it with the visual novel game and then not give you the visual novel stuff really well either. Um, yeah. I'm, 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 tr I'm trying to think uh, what game came out three years before dragon age two, that was an open world game. <laughs> that that warped a decision here uh so i'm looking at <laughs> well dragon uh, age 2 is not really open world it's inquisition that's open world dragon age 2 oh wait has like is inquisition the, the one you're talking about yeah inquisition I, is the like open okay, world game um yeah it's i think yeah skyrim might have come out shortly before then um that would make sense uh because it's it's just annoying you know and i there's another dragon age game coming out next year that's supposed to like cap off a lot okay of this stuff. uh yes uh so uh three years before dragon age inquisition uh 2011 games released the elder scrolls 5 skyrim dark souls there you go <laughs> that is why dragon age inquisition is an open world game that makes so much sense yeah yeah uh and it's made by EA, so like, and Bioware, so you know. Um, anyways, I there's another one coming out next year. I'm really looking forward to it because the the story and like the the plot and everything seems really cool. Uh, your weird elf friend from Inquisition is the villain. 
Um, turns out, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't played a 10 year old game, uh, you're like one of your companions turns out to be like a major villain and you don't learn it until the DLC. Uh, so that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I'm excited about that. But like the thing that would make me most excited about that is if I got to like spend a lot of time with that character and like develop a real relationship with them and like learn about them in Inquisition. And it is like the hardest part of the game is trying to figure out how on earth do I get this person to tell me their history? I want to do a quest for him. I want him to give me a quest and I am like doing everything I can to try and please him to give me a quest. And it was so much easier in the first two games when you could give them a gift and see a little meter that let you know like, oh, you're getting close. You're getting close, buddy. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm feeling very old now because I, I, I just Googled game releases 2011 and uh, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D came out in 2011, which means even the remastered port of Ocarina of Time is 12 years <laughs> old now. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what was it? Twenty Was 2011 also the year of uh, Innistrad? Was Innistrad 2011? Oh, that's so. a really good question. Just I, I just have to put like at least one magic word somewhere in this podcast every so often so that we... Uh, oh, we did. We talked about yeah. Nicobolas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was September. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm just trying to make sure people who are like skipping through to get to the magic talk get uh, distracted and, and tricked into listening to us talk <laughs> about uh, why romancing NPCs is the best part of a video game. Um, that's the best part of Dragon Age. Romancing the NPCs. So great. Because video games uh, narratively are at their best when they are touchstones for core human experiences. This is why visual novels are so popular. This is why dating sims are so popular. People, gamers don't understand that visual novels are incredibly popular. Um, because you don't have big major visual novel releases that uh, see the marketing that a Call of Duty has. But there are so many visual novels. They're also generally. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Dragon Age, Dragon Age Origins is a visual novel. There is. And Dragon Age 2 is also a visual novel, just very slightly different. But Dragon Age Origins, 100 percent. That is not an action RPG game. That is uh-huh. that is a visual novel that someone threw some gameplay around. Like 100 percent. Most of that game is determined through dialogue trees. It's it's actually I love it. I love it. But uh, 2011 was also Skyward Sword, also Portal 2, which means that was the last time we had. A, it's been 12 years since the last Portal game, which is a little sad because Portal rules. Um, Portal, a puzzle game that pretends to be something else. It's not. It's just a puzzle game. I love it. Also, the same year that Alice Madness Returns was released. Hi, Lily. Thank you for telling me about this game recently. Lily is my friend. She's probably going to listen to this episode. Anyway, I, I got to see a meat dress from that game. Uh, what else came out? Bastion came out. I have the old Super Giant game. Temple Run for all the phone gamers. Back when oh phone games were like phone games and not just real video games. Duke Nukem Forever. Well, that was a saga. <laughs> huh. 2011 was a good year for the video games, I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, Batman, Arkham City, L.A. Noir, uh, Uncharted 3, Battlefield 3, 
Witcher 2, Dead Space 2, Gears of War 3, Star Wars The Old Republic, Dragon Age 2, Terraria. Hmm. Never played that's, it. That's a whole bunch of games. Wow. Anyway. Anyways. That was 12 years ago. Uh, I think we should start wrapping up the podcast soon. <laughs> now that we've had our chance to rant about Destiny and Dragon Age. Uh, so uh, what are your final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. I might be reading a novel for the first time in a long time. What? Uh, I I have a processing disorder. Um, probably associated with my ADHD. Um, reading is very hard. Uh, and so magic story being short stories is, you know, agreeable uh, to me because I can read it in short bursts and it's not very long. Uh, this is a big reason why I love reading comic books. Comic books have a lot of visual stimuli um, that help. And, you know, the the panel-based word bubbles make comics a lot easier to read than um, novels. Uh, but, uh... Bigelistickless is getting another win. I might be <laughs> reading Time War. How to Lose the Time War. Um, soon. I... Uh, mostly because yeah. it's short and... I, it's been recommended by by people who know my reading limitations mm-hmm. uh, that I could probably get through it. Uh, so I will probably be checking that out at some point this summer. I will say Time War is uh, this is the episode of Chris uh, saying things or things saying that things are different than what they say they are. Uh, Time War is definitely a novel, but it's almost yeah. like a collection of prose poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know the basic vibe. Yeah, it's. I think it would be. I think you will read it and enjoy it. It's. Yeah. I what hold what I really enjoy lesbian yearning though. Oh, you don't even know the half of it. (laughs) It's lesbian yearning in space, and there are cyborgs and. I I am aware. Don't worry, I'm I'm aware of enough. Um. I'm also caught up, speaking of lesbian yearning, I'm caught up on Birdie Wing, which is excellent anime. Everyone's been talking about Witch from Mercury, obviously, as our Mecha Yuri. Um, but Birdie Wing has been happening. It's on its second season uh, and has been excellent. Uh, it's produced by Bandai. Um, and so there are some good Gundam references in it. And like Amuro and Char's VA's voice characters in the show. Um, and... Um, but mostly it's about very dumb teenagers who are, live on other sides of the world and don't realize they're rude to each other. And it's sometimes about golf, but also a lot of not. It, it's wild. Just watch it. Uh, it's really good entertainment. Every episode gets more and more ridiculous. It is one of the stupidest shows I have ever watched in the same way that <laughs> like I, I called it. And after episode one, I called it the Gurren Lagan of Sports Yuri. Uh, and I think I think we're 23 episodes in and I, I am not wrong. Uh, I, I have been proven correct episode after episode. It's fantastic. But also Gundam's Ruin. Someone did suggest in uh, our live lesson uh, channel uh, that I should talk about Witch from Mercury. But uh, I'm not going to do that because everything I have to say is extreme spoilers. And I don't want to do that to listeners. I just want you to go and watch Witch from Mercury. It's really good. It you don't don't watch it like you don't have to like Yuri to watch it. You don't like have to like Mecha 
to watch it. You just have to like really good television with really well-developed characters and really good, meaty, intricate, swingy plot moves um, and heavy emotional moments. It's just really good television. Um, that was like seven final thoughts <laughs> in one. Um, but the main final thought is, yes, I, I might be reading Time War. I, but God, I have some so comics bad. to get through first, but uh, uh, yeah. I okay. So my final thought is going to play off of your actual final thought, and also kind of bring around to the subject we should be talking about. Um, in that I'm almost done with a reread of Fellowship of the Ring, uh, finding it delightful to read now that I'm like older and have a solid brain with matter that is like mostly not going anywhere, um, except for leaking out of my ears occasionally. But uh. God, the book is so much better when you're older and you like know more about Lord of the Rings. Um, mm -hmm. Did you know? And this is something that like my roommate got totally like flabbergasted by is that like in the movies, Merry and Pippin kind of like stumble into this whole thing and like kind of accidentally end up part of the fellowship in a lot of ways. In the books, they are very explicitly choosing to be on this adventure. And that kind of changes your perspective of those characters a lot, in my opinion. Um, that they are like explicitly like Frodo, they're telling Frodo, like, we are going with you. We don't care what this adventure looks like. They're like two old friends. Um, the book is also very gay. Uh, Tolkien notably never really said anything about sexuality um he was a man who grew up in like south africa and england in the first half of the 20th century that you know he was catholic that's not going to happen um but like it's pretty clear he's at least very friendly with the ideas of uh things like that there's a there's a scene where like sam like grabs frodo's hand and blushes and it's very like yeah um Real good stuff, though, but really, really enjoying this read through. I think it's um, it's really worth it. If you are a person who likes reading fantasy novels or just novels in general and you think to yourself, I can't read this 70 year old book where like the language is all very purpley and, and you know, old, um, you absolutely can. It's worth it. It's so good. And I think they're making a magic set about it. Yeah. <laughs> But that's my final thought. Just really loving it. Every time people say purple prose, I'm just like, uh, did Harold write that? This is a reference to Harold and the Purple Crayon, a children's book. But like, that's that's just what I think. Every time someone's like purple prose, I'm like Harold and the Purple Crayon, purple prose. And that's. That's nothing. <laughs> but now you know that that's what I think. Uh, did you know that Harold and the Purple Crayon came out? Uh, before Lord of the Rings? Uh, yeah, it's a prequel, actually. Uh, Harold grows up to be Sauron. That actually checks out, I think, if you go read the appendices uh, in the mm -hmm. Silmarillion. It, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> who's going to prove me wrong? Nobody's read the Silmarillion. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> I think that's where we're going to end off. 
Uh, if you have read The Cimmerillion and want to prove me wrong that Harold from Howard and the Purple Crayon is, uh, is uh, Baby Sauron, um, you can do so on our uh, Discord server. Um, to get there, you can head to patreon.com slash theporthoscast. Everyone who supports us gets access to that Discord where we have... I don't know, it's been Lord of the Rings for a long time, but we do talk about magic. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like we mentioned, we did just have another magic comic come out this past week. And, uh, those are, you know, we've, there's been a lot of kind of retrospective thoughts about the Boom Studios, uh, magic comic runs, uh, mostly but, positive, mostly, mostly we've really liked them. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we have a, a little bit longer before, uh, to go before we get to Eldraine. Uh, but we do have Commander Masters also sometime this summer. Um, do not speak have... his name in this house. I wasn't going to say. I'm, I'm just, just saying we have a lot of new mm. cards. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a lot of sweet reprints. And if it's like past Master sets, we're probably going to get fancy borderless versions or fancy alternate art versions. And this is the exact kind of product where weird deep cuts can appear in those kinds of specialty versions of cards. Um so if you want the lowdown of all the cool lore that's going to come with those uh, cards, you want to get into this Discord server now before previews start so that you're primed and ready for day one, whenever that happens. I don't know if we have dates for those. They're probably on the website somewhere. I could open them up right now, but I want to end the episode. So I'm not going to take time to do that. Um, and... Also, it's just a nice place with a lot of good peeps. Yeah, and if you want to hang out. if you want to argue with me about anything I said about Dragon Age, uh, you can only do that on the Discord. I will take your money, and you can say whatever you want to me. It's fine. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's it. This has sort of been the Vorthos cast. Uh, thank you all for listening.